Welcome to the Ray of Hope Church podcast. We believe that hope changes everything, so get ready for an encouraging message from the Word of God. We pray that you would receive wisdom and revelation as you grow in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Good morning. How's everybody doing? Great day. Rain. So I had like three showers this morning. One at home and then a couple in the car. You know, it happens that way, but that's okay. Hey, today I want to visit with you guys about big moments, bigger God. We run a risk in the big moments. See, God's designed us to be in big moments. He's designed us for success, and he's, he's going to guide our path and lead us and direct us, and he's designed us for big moments. But if we're not careful, what we do is we wind up getting caught up in those big moments, and then those moments turn into our God. And what I mean by that is whatever those moments provide, we will chase after. If it's prestige, we'll chase after prestige. If it's money, we'll chase after money. If it's people's opinion agreeing with me, then I'll chase after that, acceptance. There's so many different things for people who who struggle with chemical addiction, things like that. It's that high that they're trying to chase. And we're trying to relive that moment. And when that moment slips in and becomes greater than God, then that moment becomes God and we begin to pattern our life after it. If you guys would go ahead and change to, or go ahead and turn in your Bibles to Genesis 11 and 1. We're going to talk about the power, uh, excuse me, the Tower of Babel this morning. Big moments, bigger God. I'm going to read a couple scriptures while you do that. I'm not going to scripture you too much, but there'll probably be a couple here. I was joking with a guy today and he said, you know, I've heard like 20,000 sermons. And I cut him off and I said, I know I'll use like 20,000 scriptures this morning, didn't I? He goes, no, it wasn't that bad, man. It wasn't that bad. Uh, Deuteronomy 3 and 22, as you change it, it says, Do not fear them, for the Lord is the one fighting for you. Fighting for you, so there will be a fight. Nahum 1.7 says, The Lord is good, a refuge in times of trouble. He cares for those who trust in him. Habakkuk 3 and 19, the sovereign Lord is my strength. He makes me, he makes my feet like the deer. He enables me to go to the heights. Then Zephaniah 3 and 17, it says, the Lord your God is in your midst, a victorious warrior. Some translation says the mighty one. He will exalt over you with joy. He will be quiet in his love and he will rejoice over you in shouts of joy. Now these lead me to believe that what? We're going to face some good times and some bad times, right? We're going to face some high moments and some low moments. And we need to be ready not to get caught up in the moments. And what I want to take you guys on a journey through is the Tower of Babel. Now, the Tower of Babel was built around the Shinar region, which is Syria and Iraq. It's believed uh, that after, well, the Bible teaches us that after the flood happened, it was really the third judgment to that point in the Bible. <laughs> Think about how, how we tend to stray from God. We're 11 chapters into the Bible, and we've already had three major judgments, <laughs> right? I mean, we kind of have a wandering heart. We better guard ourselves and not get caught up in the moment, you know? Have you ever been in a, you know, an argument with your spouse or maybe your kids or something, you know? And we'll talk about those moments. I'm sure, you know, the, what do they call it? Uh, intense fellowship, you know, those type of moments, you know? Uh, but here, we're, here it, it was a... Um, the, they, uh, Adam and Eve got cast out of the garden and then the flood came and then the scattering of the people. Okay? So once again, it was the third time and here we are. And you, if there's one thing I know, when you get a ton of people together, sometimes you run into selfishness. And that's what we're going to read. What happens here at the Tower of Babel is their focus got on the moment instead of on the God. Uh, we're going to read words like, let us, or we're going to do it, that type of thing. So let's go ahead and begin with Scripture. Genesis 11 and 1, it says, Now the whole earth had one language and the same words. And as people got migrated from the east, they found plain in the land of Shinar and settled there. And they said to one another, Come, let us make bricks and burn them thoroughly. 
And they had made bricks from stone and tar and, and from mortar. And then he said, Come, let us build ourselves a city and a tower with its tops to the heavens, and let us make a name for ourselves. At least we'd be dispersed over all the face of the earth. And the Lord came down and saw the city and the tower and the children who had built it. And he said, and the, and the Lord said, Behold, they are one people and they have one language, and this is only the beginning of what they can do. And nothing that they propose to do will be impossible for them. Come, let us... Um, Come, let us go down and confuse their language so that they might not understand one speech. So the Lord dispersed them from over the face of the earth and left off the building of the city. Therefore, the name was called Babel because the Lord confused the language of all the earth. And from there, the Lord dispersed them over all over the face of the earth. Let's pray. Father, we love you. Pray that you help us through this text, God, to extract, God, what you've shown us through it, God. Let our hearts be open and our minds be open. We love you. And everybody says, Amen. So Babel means confusion. It's kind of from a root, a verb word in Hebrew that means confusion. Babylon is another, uh, if you study further on, you'll find out this place named Babylon. Babylon kind of comes from the same uh, verbiage. And the reason why is because it was a very pagan culture and it was confused on who the real God was. They'd taken the Jews captive, but they were confused and Babel's kind of, so here they're building this, this tower uh, of Babel and it's really not just a city or a place. It's really the region. So think, when you think of Sinar, think of a region. It's multiple cities kind of made up. And they said, let's get together and let's do this. They wanted to be remembered. And this is interesting. This is an interesting thing about it. The thing that they feared more than anything was what? Being scattered, right? They said, we want to do this to make a name and so we won't be scattered. But they dove into that selfishness of, of getting their mind off of God and totally on the moment. And what happened? They wound up scattered anyways. Sometimes as God leads us through a process and we're really worried about something, it's that thing that's going to overtake us if we're not careful, right? We've got to make sure we keep our eyes upon Christ. Oh, it's the act, the emotion. What, what, what do we do? Now, the reason why he really wanted to scatter because he, he saw this thing called selfishness, okay? It became about them. Now, I'm convinced that selfishness is at the root of evil. Okay, if we think of all the horrible stuff, the atrocities that happens all over the world, the kidnappings, these different things like that, the trafficking, it's because of man's desire. And I mean that man, period, the, the world, humankind's desire. They're trying to satisfy, they're trying to fulfill, they're trying to do, they're trying to go. It's about me. And whenever you see selfishness, now listen to him, hear me out. Whenever you see selfishness in a relationship or a situation, be careful because evil's just right there. Okay? Selfishness is usually the gateway for evilness. Okay? Because whenever, because the picture's completely off of God and now it's about what I want, what I desire, what I can do, maybe my family, whatever it might be. And then when you get in that state of mind, we're no longer a nice human, okay? Uh, we're only nice to the people that we think we should be nice to. And we've got to be careful. God didn't die for the nice people. He died for all people, okay? So we've got to make sure we realize that, right? He died for all people. In the moments we live in, if they become bigger than God, then we're in danger of those moments becoming our God. Instead of God ruling over us in those moments, those moments rule over us as our God. Because we're seeking... We surrender to it. We begin to follow that feeling of power. Or, or it may be, maybe it could be positive or negative. We begin to give it control. We've got to be careful because we're, we're attracted to people like us. We want to be around people that love and understand us, that feel our pain, that's not quick to judge. We want to be productive, efficient, successful. So we make relationship with these individuals that, say, that, that share our same values. But whenever we do that and we 
put ourselves in that hole, and what I say you kind of rat hole yourself in there, then it's all about you and what you do. That's the reason why God's into diversity. That's the reason why he came down. I mean, think about this. Think about the power of this. I, just, I wrote this down as I was thinking. In, chapters, in verse 6 it says, And the Lord said, Behold, they are one people, and they've made one language, and this is only the beginning of what they can do. And nothing they propose to do will be impossible for them. I was thinking about inserting, well, if, insert Ray of Hope's name there. If we're all one language... And I'm talking about the language of the Holy Spirit and God here. I'm not talking about the nationality or ethnicity, but we're all on the same page. We're all about, let's see how far we can take Jesus into our community. Let's see how far we can proclaim the name of God. And we all have devotions and, and fasting time set up where we can gain access and, and, and continue to go deeper and deeper into Christ. I wonder what God would look down in there. He would have to say the same thing because he's the same yesterday, day before. Would he not look down and say, those guys can do anything? What a powerful leadership statement. So the question becomes not what can we do, but the question is what can we not accomplish? Amen. Amen. So we, I want to make sure we understand the positive of this too, but there is dangers in this as well. So how do we make sure that we keep God at the center focus? God becomes bigger than the problem, than the moment. I begin, I think you have to go from staring to strategizing. Sometimes what we do is we tend to stare at the moments in our problems. And we see this. People hang on to the past. And, and uh, one of the things that I've learned is as people get older, it's a little bit harder to let go of stuff, right? One of the things my dad says is, he says, Matt, we're too old to be doing this. <laughs> you know, you want to you hang on to something. Somebody offended you and it's 10 years ago and that kind of runs your life. And it keeps you from getting into other relationships because you're, you, you might be scared because you were betrayed or something like that. And, and, and you've got to be careful about building up those fences and those walls. Walls. And, and you can't just stare at that problem and focus in on it. The, I, I like to use Judas as this. Judas, was a, he, he, he got caught up in the moments. Okay, it didn't happen one day he woke up and said, I'm going I'm to sell Jesus for 30 pieces of silver. Matter of fact, in the scripture it actually says that Judas was prompted by the devil. He was prompted by sin. But I wonder if during all the times that he went out and he cast out devils with the, with the crew, he went out and he was with Jesus as they healed the cities, and he did all these multiple things, if he got caught up in the moment, if he desired that affection that he found from the cities and the people, if, if he got caught up being the man, because see, the truth was he was following the man. He wasn't the man. But sometimes when you're following that spirit of God, you can get confused and it becomes about us. That's the reason why we've got to make sure we stay on our knees. Can I get an amen? All right. This is about Jesus, right? But I wonder how many times Judas didn't do that. And then when he was prompted, think about it. Here he has. He's in the house and he's fixing to sell Jesus for 30 pieces of silver and he has their attention. It's all on him. We're all going to try to create a way for you to sell Jesus, for you to, for you to trap him and do these different things. And I wonder if in that moment, that wasn't part of the situation. I've, it's, it's all on me. So we've got to be careful that the moments do not come bigger uh, than our God. See, it wasn't about, it was about what he experienced instead of about Jesus. Amen. James 3 and 16 says this, For where you have envy and self-admission, there you will find disorder and evil practice. So we can't stare. Now, God was a strategist. Okay, let's think about this. John 3, 16, right? For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Then 17 says, for he did not come to the world to condemn it, but through him it might be saved. That was a strategy. He looked down and he said, there's no other way. 
I have to send him. Instead of staring at the problem and staring, and, and we see this throughout scripture, okay? We're going to kick you out of the garden. And the reason why he expelled him from the garden because he knew if they eat of the tree again, there would be eternal separation. It wasn't because he was trying to be a mean God. It was because he realized that I love these people so much, I want to do whatever I can to, to love them. And if I don't get them out of the garden, they're going to keep sinning and then we'll be eternally separated. This is the last chance right here. Then he sends the flood. He does all these different things and then he sends Jesus. Why? Because he's going to use whatever strategy it takes to get to us. Think about in our lives, how many, how many coincidental run-ins have you had in with people? It's not. It's Jesus. Jesus has got your number, man. If you're in here and you're, you're thinking, man, I should get saved and I keep running into people, Jesus is saying, get saved, okay? Let me flatline it for you. That's what he's saying, okay? Get saved. Don't be, get, be, be a strategist, okay? Uh, I, I want to share a little story, uh, and Mary will get a kick out of this. Uh, we, we just moved, uh, Callie was doing a lot of sleeping in our bedroom, so we thought, okay, we're going to push her into her own bed. We're going to get her in there, okay? And what we did is we, uh, we ordered online one of these things that kept her from rolling out of her bed, because she has a tall bunk bed. It's about that tall, and we didn't want her to roll out of this, uh, out of this bunk bed. But it wasn't in yet. But we thought, well, we're not going to wait till it comes online. We're going to make our own thing. Now, how many knows when you make your own stuff, you kind of need to know what you're doing, right? I'm convinced I'm a carpenter. Mary's convinced I'm not, okay? So what we do is we push all this stuff up against the bed, and all we needed was duct tape and barbed wire, and we'd be having a redneck party, okay? We got all this stuff shoved up against the bed, and there's no way Callie can roll off. And Mary says, I've got a great idea. I want to put a baby monitor in there too, so if she gets scared, we can hear her. I wasn't really on board because, you know, she, yeah, okay, whatever. So we're going to do this, right? Okay, so, so we do this. So in the middle of the night, I hear the loudest shriek I've ever heard. I'm dead asleep. And I'm the kind of sleeper Mary hates to wake me up. Like, she'll throw trash at me across the... I guess I've watched too many war movies. I don't know, you know. I'm in the trench, man. Ma! You know, I don't know. But, uh, but she does. She doesn't like waking me up. So whenever I get up, so I heard this little shriek, you know, and I just jump up out of bed, and I just respond. And I go, and, 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 and I go, and I'm not doing anything. I'm just standing and yelling. Like, I'm, I get my war, war cry, you know. And then Mary sets up out of bed, and she goes, and then I come back, and I go, and then I'm in my basketball shorts, and I just charge as fast as I can into the room. And I remember thinking, I don't know what's in the other side of that door, but, baby, we're going down, okay? <laughs> so I run through the door, and, and I just I knock the door open. I go, and Callie sits right up out of bed and goes, so now the entire house is awake. And by the time this whole deal, door deal is over, Mary's literally crouched down going, oh, Jesus, oh, Jesus. Tears running down her face. Callie's crying. You know, I'm thinking I'm a hero, man. I, I scared. I don't know what I scared. I scared something, though, okay? And, uh, and it was my dog, dude. My dog was sleeping with Callie. And she wanted to go use the restroom. And she went crazy. And she, yeah, it was so. So I was like, well. And then I, then I did something super smart in that moment. I was like, you know, this is the reason why I need to sleep with protection by my bed, you know, with a weapon. And Mary's like, no way, dude. <laughs> no, that's going in the safe and we're going to bury it in the backyard. Okay, you're not doing it. I'm like, so bad moment to propose that. But, uh, but I got caught up in the moment, man. The moment became greater than me because I wasn't prepared for the moment. 
And we got to realize, now I've got a strategy for that moment. <laughs> if I wake up, I'll listen for a second. I'm like, okay, hey, what's going on here? You know, but it was, it was quite hysterical and, uh, yeah, so don't do that. You know, wait a second and figure out and, because, uh, you know, I thought I was going to walk in there and Callie was going to be hanging by our arm over the bed and it was a stupid little four-pound dog we have, so it, it won, okay? Now, listen, as you make a plan and a strategy for yourself like that story, it helped me realize I had some faults and failures, right? Okay, listen, God knows who you are and what he did. He died for sinners, evildoers. It even says in there, enemies of God, right? He calls us friends of God later, but it's also enemies of God. So be, be real with yourself, okay? Be real with yourself. Be practical. Stretch yourself, okay, as you create a strategy. And, and, and like, if you want to create a strategy to fast for 40 days, okay, and you've never fasted, don't say, I'm going to fast for 40 days. You don't wind up in the hospital in 10 or something, okay? Or you're going to fast for like two hours and then be like, oh, I can't make it 40 days anyways. You know what I mean? Come on, we're all there, right? I, you know, I struggle reading my Bible 10 minutes a day, and so I'm going to read it two hours a day. No, you're not, okay? You're, it's going to be aggravating to you. You've got to stretch yourself. I remember the, well, the first fast that I did, there's this young man that was sick at the church that I was serving at, and God said, I want you to do a 40-hour fast. Not a 40-day or anything like that. He said, I want you to do a 40-hour fast. And I never really, I'd fasted some meals, but never that length. And the way, that it, the way that the fast ended, it ended, we were celebrating Thanksgiving at my house up in Newcastle at kind of a, on a date, not necessarily on Thanksgiving, and it basically budded right up to that. Okay, so I go to that family function, and I'm counting down the minutes. I'm like, okay, 39 hours, 15 minutes. All right, I got 45 minutes here, you know. I'm like, okay, Jesus, I'm going to make it, you know. And we just so happened to have KFC at our dinner that day, and I was happy to see Colonel Sanders, baby, okay. So we go, we go in there, and, and finally at 40 hours, guys, you should have seen the chicken bones in the corner. Why not? <laughs> okay, I'm just going to be honest with you, all right. I, I didn't show much self-restraint, okay. Uh, so whenever you, whenever you stretch yourself and, and you try to create these strategies, so that we can live in these great moments that God has created for us. And moments can be anything too, right? It's, it could be a, maybe a, a fight with a, with a family member, maybe with a child, maybe a meeting with a coworker or something like that. There's these moments that we want the Lord to control and not us. And as we strategize for them, just realize, be real with yourself. Who are you? You know what I mean? God doesn't want you to be anything else. I think pastor says, you were born an original, why die a copy? You know? So, so be who, what, what God made you. And be smart. Ecclesiastes says this, okay? It, it, for me, like, if I, like, I'm going to fast coffee, I would be a mean dude. I, I drink, like, you know, you know, kind of a large number of cups a day. You know, I'm kind of a coffee drinker. And just to suck that caffeine out of my life, you know, I probably need to step, I need to be real with myself, okay? This is what Ecclesiastes says. It says, in, in chapter 5, it says, When you make a promise to God, don't delay and follow through. For God takes no pleasure in fools. Keeping all the promises you make him, it is better to say nothing than to make a promise you cannot keep. Don't open your mouth and don't, don't let your mouth make you sin. And don't defend yourself by telling the temple manager that the promise you made was a mistake. That would make God angry and he might wipe out everything you have achieved. Chapter, uh, verse 7, talk is cheap like daydreams and other useless activities. Fear God instead. So as you make that strategy, as you decide to, to, to really, what can I do? What can I cut out? What TV shows or whatever it is that I can dig my heels into? God, I just want to do it because I fear you. And let's begin the process, but, but do it within a manner that we can be successful, okay? Ephesians 5 and 17 says, don't act thoughtlessly, but understand what the Lord wants you to do. 
Now, we can take a breath and relax here, okay? Because this is what it says. It says in 2 Peter 3 and 9, The Lord is slow to, is, is not slow in keeping his promises, as some understand slowness. Instead, he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. He's patient with us, guys. It, it's, he, Jesus looks at our life from start to finish. We look at our life in segments, right? When we're young, okay, if I can just make it to 13, if I can just make it to 16, if I can just graduate high school, if I can get married, if I can do this or do that, go to college, right? Get a job. Go. If I can get out from underneath my parents' rules, you know, then I will have it made. Okay? Not really. But you, you know, I mean, if you think you will in the first 30 days, it's pretty good. <laughs> After that, it gets kind of tricky, you know? But, uh, you know, responsibility falls on your plate. Some other stuff, but uh, we, we got to make sure that we, we walk it out. Okay? Now, listen. As we create our strategy, listen, respond to the Holy Spirit. Okay? Allow the Holy Spirit to work in your life. Think about Peter. In John 13, they're, they're wash, Jesus is washing his feet. So in John 13, he girds his waist. He goes up to Peter, and he goes, I'm going to wash your feet. And Peter's like, no, no, I don't want you to wash my feet now. And he, Jesus is like, Peter, calm down. I, I'm, I'm going to wash your feet, or you won't have any part of me. And then, then what does Peter do? He's like, well, wash my whole body. What was he saying? Bath party, right? Okay, all of a sudden he went away to the other spectrum, man. Okay? And, and this is pre-Holy Spirit. What happens? He gets the Holy Spirit in Acts 2. Okay, everything's going crazy. People are filled with the Spirit, talking in tongues. People don't know what's going on. He takes a breath, no doubt, and goes, hmm, God's trying to do something. Steps out on and gives one of the greatest sermons ever delivered. 3,000 people were added to the church that day. But why? Because he responded to the Holy Spirit. Before he had trouble acting, but it creates that balance. So let that Holy Spirit. This is what Paul writes. Paul writes, the Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. Romans 8 and 16. I tell you the truth in Christ, I'm not lying. My conscience also bearing me witness in the Holy Spirit. Romans 1 and 9. Now Jack Hayford says this is the definition of a witness. This is what he considers, okay? Giving evidence, attesting, confirming, confessing, bearing records, speaking well of, giving a good report testifying, affirming what one has seen or heard, presenting the gospel with evidence. Okay? So that's the Holy Spirit. That's the witness that we have in ourselves. So as we develop this, let him guide you. Check out what Jesus, okay? Matthew 4 and 11, it says, Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness and tempted by the devil. Okay? He was led by the Spirit. He had the Spirit all over him, Okay? He was tempted, he was given him words, and, and, and Satan used the Bible against him, and, and Jesus defeated him. But what's his next act? Check out his next act. His next act was he, he had the encounter with Satan, then he heard that his best friend, the guy that proclaimed that he was the Messiah, was just put in prison. Well, that was devastating, right? But remember, he had the Holy Spirit. He was responding to him. Okay, then after that, what does Jesus do? He's a he's strategist too. He goes down and he calls his first four disciples. He didn't just randomly call the four. He knew. And you know it had to be the Holy Spirit. Think about him questioning himself about Peter. God, are you sure? That guy over there is telling everybody what to do? A guy over there that doesn't know how to keep his mouth shut, that's constantly saying things that doesn't need to be said, you know? Are you sure that's the, you know? But Jesus was sure because he was led by the Spirit into the wilderness and he had that Holy Spirit. Does that make sense? He responded to it. And then as we responded to the Holy Spirit, he had three other big moments there that was pretty, pretty intense, okay? Number two, we got to choose not to compromise, but choose to to rise. So many times in situations in these big moments, we choose to compromise. How can I get through it? What can I do? And instead of choosing to compromise, we have to choose to rise. Okay? Think about the Tower of Babel. Anybody could have said, hey, aren't we being selfish here? Or maybe they could have said, are we sure we want to use all of our resources for this? 
Or maybe, is there something better we can do? Don't you think this is kind of, you know, not what we need to be doing? And I was thinking to myself, would God stop if one person said that? Let's, let's look at the scripture and try to find it out. Genesis 6, would God have taken notice? He did for Noah. He said, there's one man that found grace in my sight. Genesis 18, Abraham. Abraham said, if there's ten people in Sodom, he was listening to one man. He said, if there's ten people, would you save Sodom? He goes, yes, I would. Then in Luke 5 and 10, check this out. It says, there's rejoicing in heaven at one sinner who repents. So Jesus, God would have noticed the one. If somebody out of all these people would have said, I think this is not good. And this is what I was praying last night for you guys. And this is the word that I'll give really quickly that has to do with this subject and I'll move on. God told me to tell you guys that he notices the one. He notices you in your situation. He noticed Abraham. He noticed Noah. He noticed David. He noticed John in prison. He noticed Paul and he notices you. So whatever your situation is, whatever you're crying out to him about, he has taken notice. Okay. Now, so how do we rise? Well, it's easy. We get more the one who is higher in us, right? We appreciate the Bible. I'll try to instill in my youth that appreciate the Bible. Don't just read and study the Bible. If you appreciate something, you're going to take care of it. You're going to study it. You're going to read it. If, you t- if, if, if a 16-year-old has a brand new car and they appreciate it, they're not going to go out there with the baseball bat and knock out all the lights. You're going to walk up there and be like, what do you do? Like, I'm just appreciating my car, right? That doesn't happen. Okay, but, you know, Two inches of dust on the Bible is not good either. So appreciate the word. Appreciate what it does and how it fills us, okay? Here's some examples. This is what Joshua said. It says, keep this book of law always on your lips. Meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do everything written in it, that you may be prosperous and successful. Psalms 19, 1 and 5 says, thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. John 1 and 1 says, in the beginning was the word, and the word was God, and the word uh, was with God. Excuse me. In the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Now let's put all those together. He said, uh, he said your Word is a lamp unto my path. Okay? Then he says, understanding of your Word brings, uh, brings understanding to ordinary people. And then, John, and then in John, Jesus says, I am the Word. In John 8, he says, when Jesus spoke again, he said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but walk in light. It's very simple. If I want more of light in my life, I've got to have more of Jesus. If I want the grace that... Noah had, I've got to have more of Jesus. Why? Jesus was the personification of grace. And what I'm asking for more of grace, I'm asking for more of Jesus. If I'm asking for more of Jesus, I'm asking for more of his word. Why? Because Jesus said, I do what my father tells me to do, and I say what my father tells me to say. And what does light do? Light chases out darkness. Think about this. When you shine a light on something, darkness flees faster than the light shines. So we're asking for more of God. Matthew 6 and 22, it says, The lamp of the body is the eye. If therefore your eye is good, your whole body is full of light. What are you watching? This, your eyes are what shines that light into your body. Are you reading the word? Are you studying it? Are you going after it? And there's so many different ways, man, guys. And, and I'm not trying to act like, oh, holy earth thou or anything, because that's, that's not what I'm trying to do. But, man, I listen to podcasts. I read books. I read the Bible. I try not to get some of that stuff is crazy, and I don't pay any attention to it, okay? I guard myself. But, but there's so many different ways that you can. You got a 20-minute commute to work or school. You got a 10-minute. Pop in a podcast and listen to it, okay? The new Bible app, version, which is not new. It's like 10 years old. But now... All 
all you have to do is hit play and it'll read the Bible to you, okay? I have to get this light into my eye. We have to be eat up with it because there's so much that's pulling us away from it, right? Oh, even commercials aggravate me. Oh my goodness, you know? We, we got to guard our eyes. Like, turn your eyes. That's a toothpaste commercial, you know? It's like, oh my gosh, you know? Okay, Proverbs 2, it says, my child, listen to what I say and treasure my commands. Tune your ears to wisdom and concentrate on understanding. Cry out for insight and ask for understanding. Search for them as you would silver. Seek for them as hidden treasures. Then you will understand what it means to fear the Lord and you will gain knowledge of God. Now check this out. For the Lord grants wisdom for his mouth come knowledge and understanding. What came out of his mouth? The whole New Testament. <laughs> okay, the Old Testament. Now check this out. Matthew 2 and 34 says, Out of the abundance of the heart the mouth speaks. Listen to me. This is really cool, okay? God is consumed with, with us being armed by the word, okay? He is consumed with us being overcomers. He is consumed by, with, with giving every man the opportunity to come unto salvation. Remember, what consumes your heart consumes your life. And Jesus cannot be consumed with anything else because it would be against his nature and his character. Isn't that cool? Oh, man, I love it. All right. So God has put this destiny on us. He has given us what, uh, he has given us this grace to accept. He's made plans. Check this out. Very, very prophetic statement, not blown out of proportion. Matthew 5 and 14, you are the light of the world, a city set upon a hill that cannot be hidden. What a great statement by Jesus. If you will read my word and you will hide it in your heart, you're going to be a city set upon a hill, man. That, that's what I created you for. That's what he's ordained us for. Amen. Will the worship team please come up? In 2 Chronicles seven fourteen, and we're, we're about to finish up here, it says, Solomon... Okay, here Solomon finishes the temple in the king's house. And this is what it says. It says that he has accomplished everything in the king's house that he wanted to. And he has accomplished everything in the temple that he's wanted to. You know why he accomplished those things? To bring glory to God. And this is what, this is what, this is, it says that Solomon went to sleep and then he begins, and then God talks to him. And this is what God instructs. 7 and 14. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves, pray, seek my face, turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and heal their land. Now check out verse 15. Now my eyes will be open and my ears attentive to the prayer made in this place. You want God's attention? Do what he asks. You are not alone. He hears your prayer. And in one of Solomon's greatest moments in his ministry, God says, wait a second, some stuff is going to happen, and I'm going to give you a key to get through it. But what does he say? He says, you've got to humble yourself. You've got to seek my face and turn from your wicked ways. But God's promise is then I will open up my ears, and, and I'll be attentive to you. See, God desires us not only to give us attention, but he desires us to chase after it. That's what we were created for. Would you guys please stand with me? We are so thankful you joined us today. We would love to hear from you at rayofhopepodcast at gmail.com. Let us know how you are encouraged and how we can pray for you. Remember, Christ in you is the hope of glory and hope changes everything.